0: Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Will Brinson on the NFL in 30 minutes. Ashley Twitchell, one of the first two folks in the United States to qualify for our Summer Olympics team next summer in Tokyo. She's a swimmer from Duke, from the Triangle area. Ashley's going to drop by live third hour. Our next guest was a star college golfer at Wake Forest. He was one of the best golfers on the planet in the 1980s when he won two U.S. Opens back-to-back, also a three-time PGA Money Leader that decade. Wyndham Championship is almost here, right in our backyard. Curtis Strange, of course, nowadays an outstanding golf analyst for ESPN and Fox Sports. Curtis, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. I have a goofy question for you out of the gate before we get into the more traditional golf stuff. There's a weird Lexi Thompson golf story on the other side of the pond right now where her misplaced passport left 38 LPGA pros without their clubs yesterday heading into the Women's British Open. Did you ever have like a a last-minute emergency with your beloved clubs while you were in competition?
1: Well, first of all, I wouldn't dare touch that with a 10-foot pole on on the women and their traveling of golf clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, blame you. You know, you know. Actually, I I didn't. I uh, I was very lucky, and I guess most did have issues with golf clubs or a passport, but I was. You know, I was anal about a couple of things, and one was my passport, and another was my golf club. I kept them really cl- I kept them very close to me.
0: <laughs> if if you stumbled upon a place where you didn't think you were going to have to play golf or be asked to play golf, and you just had to use, you know, something that Carl Spackler grabbed from the back of the uh, clubhouse or whatever, how much different would that feel for you?
2: Oh
1: gosh. Um, it would feel different, but I think I'd play okay. Uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, I remember not long ago we were doing an LPGA Tour event. Meg Ballon was still playing, and I grabbed her clubs and hit some shots with them. And I kind of liked them. <laughs> 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 you know, as we get older, we need to adjust and get a little lighter shaft, a little whippier shaft, and maybe that's what I need but the ego won't let me do it. But, you know, I think he played just fine. You might not play at your your level to compete in a major championship, yeah. but I think he played just fine.
0: Yeah, fortunately in this particular story at the Women's British Open, the, the, everybody will have their clubs by the time competitive play begins a little bit later this week. All right, the, the 2019 season is not over, of course, uh, but we no. know our major winners, uh, Tiger Woods, Brooks Kepka, Gary Woodland, and most recently Shane Lowry. When you think of, even as we look forward to the Wyndham and the FedEx Cup playoffs, et cetera, when you think of what has happened so far, um, Tiger Woods has to be the lead story, right? Because he spent a decade stuck on 14 majors. He got number 15. And I guess the question would be, where does he go from here in his 40s, but showing again that he's capable on a major weekend?
1: Well, it's such a, David, such a broad, tough question to answer. Uh, I first want to say him winning the, at the Masters this year was something that many of us really didn't expect, uh, and I think him included. Uh, it was the greatest story in golf in a long time, since since the last Tiger Woods win. And, uh, I mean, you could go back to last fall and see the response from the fans from everywhere when he won the Tour Championship. So uh, then go ahead and win the Masters. Uh, and I think you've seen some... Some uh, hangover from that, and I don't mean that in a in a bad way. Uh, you know, I, I I think he relaxed. I think he enjoyed, which is I'm glad he did. Uh, he hasn't played very well since then, but maybe we still high. You know, we we still uh, hold him at such a high standard, especially after winning the first major of the year. Uh, I don't think you're gonna see that at a Tiger as consistently as we did in the past, but. Gosh, if we can get a glimpse of the old tiger once in a while, that would be enough for me, and I think everybody else. But uh, where does he go from here? I don't know. It depends on where his body wants him to go. It depends on how much emotional, physical involvement you know, love for the game he still has, uh, because it's it's a lot of work to go in and prepare for a major championship. But I think when he gets fired up and and, and has set a goal, we've all learned a long time ago not to to question Tiger Woods.
0: You used the word hangover in one context. I have a question about the word hangover in a different context. When I saw the Shane Lowry story at the Open Championship, I mean, obviously, this is a guy who's worked really hard for a long time and doesn't mind a beverage or two. Uh, he's one of the local favorites as it's held. in makes him a I, bad
1: guy nowadays. Oh, okay? it makes him a better guy <laughs> in
0: my eyes. I mean, that's all a matter of subjectivity, right? Um, can you either tell us a story of a celebration that you either were a part of or witnessed? I mean, you guys work hard. You're professional golfers. But I guess when you get to the top of the mountain, we've seen you know public displays of such things after, say, a, a wild Ryder Cup victory, right? We see the champagne flowing. We might not see the the day after pictures, right? But we even saw like the U.S. Women's National Team after winning the World Cup. If you saw any of those videos or or snapshots from the ensuing 24 hours, like they were partying like rock stars. What did you make of the Shane Lowry celebration, and what uh, memory might it jilt in? you about a similar one from your days
1: well I will say this about the women's soccer world cup team they were fantastic I watched every minute not as much this year just because of the time change but I thought they're terrific I rooted like hell for them but I wasn't real proud of the celebration and that that's all I'll say about that but I'm going to say Tiger Woods is the story of the year but those of us that are really involved in the game to have the Open Championship go back to Ireland after sixty some years of being away because of some political unrest and and so forth, uh, and then to have one of their sons, uh, an Irishman from the Republic, win, is you can't make this stuff up. Uh, right. Hollywood would not accept hmm. this story because it's too too out there. But it happened. I guess Rory McIlroy would have been the only person to win
0: we're losing a signal with curtis i think he's still with us he's on twitter at golf underscore strange espn and fox sports golf analyst breaking down the win at the Open Championship by Shane Lowry, in case it broke up on you a little bit. Of course, first, U, first British Open in Northern Ireland in many decades, one of the few times ever uh, that it left either England or Scotland. And then Shane Lowry of the Republic of Ireland, of course, was the guy who won and may still be celebrating all this time afterward. The four major winners this year, Tiger Woods at the Masters, Brooks Kepka at the PGA, obviously his run of majors and even St. Jude this past weekend uh, certify him as maybe the best player in the world, certainly one of the guys to fit that description. Gary Woodland, another American, took the U.S. Open, and then Shane Lowry grabbed the fourth and final major of the calendar year. If you're a golf fan in our statewide audience, remember that the Wyndham Championship is underway in a sense. But Jordan Spieth, Patrick Reed, uh, Webb Simpson, Ernie Els, Martin Keimer, Paul Casey, Hideki Matsuyama, many of the best PGA pros in the world are at Sedgefield this week. Competitive play starting on Thursday in Greensboro. Our guest Curtis Strange is a fun follow on Twitter at golf underscore strange. Darren, you have him back yet on um one one thing about his uh, quick note about the celebration, I have a feeling that he was bothered more by the celebrations after goals in the Thailand win, which was, remember, 13 to nothing. I don't think Curtis would object to, like, the rock star party at the nightclubs or in the plane on the ride home or in the locker room. I I don't think he would object to champagne or anything else flowing in those celebrations. I'm pretty sure he was talking more about on the field, although he did not... Sound like he wanted to go into those details too, too much. Will Brinson's going to drop by in about 25 minutes on all things NFL. Ashley Twitchell, one of the first two people from Team USA to qualify for next year's Summer Olympics. She's from Duke. She's from the Triangle. She has a lot of family and friends here. She will be part of the swimming group that will represent our country in Tokyo next summer Ashley Twitchell third hour Will Brinson later this hour we'll see if we can reconnect with Curtis Strange who may be in transit somewhere 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program I didn't even get to my question about the Wyndham Championship for Curtis Strange but for those who don't know basically the calendar has changed you all know that usually At this time of year, in the past, we did not have all four majors already in the books. So the PGA Championship was moved up on the calendar. We have four straight months of majors, right? April, May, June, and July is the new layout for the four majors. One in each of those months, starting with the Masters back in April at Augusta National. Well, if you're the Wyndham Championship, you are before the mega-million-dollar FedEx Cup playoffs. And all of the big guys play in that because remember, it's a $10 million grand prize for the winner. So it's multiple events. It's essentially the playoffs of the golf world. And you got a $10 million carrot waiting for you at the end of that. Well, the Wyndham is before the FedEx Cup playoffs, but it is after the four majors. And that's a new place on the calendar. So the question becomes, what can you do to entice as many as possible of the world's best players to come to your event? These guys always show up for the majors. They, of course, would love to represent whatever, Europe or the United States in the Ryder Cup. There's a handful of others they would never miss the Players' Championship, some of the World Golf Championship events as well. And then the Wyndham, while an outstanding event, would be somewhere on that next tier. It's not a low level event, but it's not a major event, obviously. It's somewhere in between. So they've come up with the Wyndham Rewards, just as the FedEx Cup playoff dangles the $10 million money for the grand prize the Wyndham rewards dangles 10 million dollars for a group of winners and we got Curtis back and I he was finishing his answer about Shane Lowry when we lost his uh his signal but go ahead we always love rock star celebration stories whether you're talking about Shane Lowry's or one of your own
1: well Shane Lowry I don't know where we got cut off was certainly a rock star celebration and good for him and I've heard some funny tweets out there that Ireland had been waiting many, many years and been practicing drinking at Guinness for many, many years <laughs> yeah. for a story like this, and it was, uh, it was fantastic, and I hope he continues the good play because we forget uh, Shane Lowry very, very easily could have won the U.S. Open right. when Dustin Johnson won at Oakmont some years ago, so a wonderful player.
0: Curtis Strange joining us. Follow him on Twitter at golf underscore strange. Uh, The guys who run the Wyndham Championship here in our backyard—you know—we're blessed with two events every year on the PGA Tour, sometimes more than that. Uh, But given your time at Wake Forest, you know our turf very, very well. They're a little bit disappointed in this year's field, even though they have Jordan Spieth, Patrick Reed, Webb Simpson, and and a lot of other guys nationally and internationally. What do you make of the new calendar? And the Wyndhams place before the FedEx Cup playoff, big money, but after the four, all four majors on the new calendar, and the, the Wyndham rewards concept that they've come up with to at least try to attract the maximum field uh, each year?
1: Well, yeah, I, it's, I get it. Uh, those who have played well that are already qualified for the FedEx Cup playoff, which is a another conversation for another day Uh, and after the majors which are five and five months they need some time off and they're going to take some time off and maybe it comes at the expense of Greensboro Uh, I get that but as a player you've got to do what you have to do on the other hand I'd rather look at the bright side that we do have two PGA Tour events in Carolina Uh, I love that you know We're back at Sedgefield, Bobby Long and his people, Sedgefield and their members, Wyndham, they've all come together to put on a hell of a tournament. And uh, it will be a hell of a tournament. And, you know, our favorite son, Webb Simpson, is playing well again. So maybe it'll be his week.
0: What kind of money in your eyes motivates guys nowadays? Because my understanding of how the rules work, at least for now, is if you're high enough in that Wyndham top ten, you collect that bonus money whether or not you play in the Wyndham. I, I mean, I wonder how hard it would be to change those rules. I don't know how many people you would need to approve the rules maybe to say, hey, you want that Wyndham top 10 bonus money? You got to play in the Wyndham, right? I mean, that I would yeah. imagine that would motivate even more people.
1: Yeah, but I also think that uh, that's probably against our policy on the tour. Okay. That would almost be like an appearance fee of some sort yeah. or a, or an, uh, uh, an incentive to play and where other tournaments are not allowed to do that, so yes. I get that too. But uh, you know what? It's, it's it's a long year. It's a little shorter year this year because of the condensed schedule. But, um, you know, there's just everybody fights for the A1 ideal position on tour, a date, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. And I'm not so sure these World Golf Championships like Memphis last week and the FedEx Cup and these condensed majors, I don't think it helps the regular tour because now you have so many mandatory, so to speak, tournaments, and it really does hurt the rest of the tour. So it doesn't matter how much money they put out there now; they, they make their share. Uh, they make more than they share at times, and I don't sound like the old guy, but they make so much money they can, they can afford to take off a big tournament.
0: As you know, we have not only the local draws, like a Webb Simpson of Wake Forest, Davis Love from Carolina, Harold Varner from ECU. It was a nice, very last-minute addition when Jordan Spieth added himself to the field just on Friday, I think, like, close to the deadline. I remember a time, Curtis, where I really thought Jordan Spieth, who I believe just turned 26 years old this week – I really thought that he was the next big thing, just as a casual golf fan. He's still an outstanding golfer and worth going to Sedgefield this week. But what is your big-picture summary of where his career has gone? Because we've gone from thinking that he has as good a chance as anybody on a given weekend to thinking, well, he's an outstanding golfer, but he's not what he once was.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, we've talked a lot about him all year long, and, and I think in, in a minor way it's it's what Tiger Woods did to us. We we set a bar for Tiger, and in this case Jordan Spieth when he won three majors in, what, a couple of years, early, early on, early 20s, that we thought this would continue on, and maybe, just maybe, that might have been the best golf he ever plays. Not to say he's not going to play some terrific golf in the future, but he hasn't played up to that level, which doesn't mean it's been bad golf, but we hold him to that standard. Um, he, uh, you know, he hasn't played as well, so he is going through a couple of swing changes, I understand. I have not talked to him. And so, therefore, that's, that's a little bit tougher. But I think he's played okay at times. I, you know, as long as he keeps chipping and putting the way he did back when he won the majors, he's always going to be a, a factor. Uh, maybe he's not making all the putts. Maybe he's missing more fairways. But the one thing about Jordan, he doesn't have the length that some of these other fellows have. So when he goes off in some part of his game, he doesn't have that length to carry him through. So he has to be sharp from to Green, and so far this year he hasn't been.
0: Quick thing, you said earlier you didn't want to elaborate on this, but we got the question. Was Curtis referring to the U.S. women's celebration on the field or was he referring to, like, you know, uh, the, the rock star party in the locker room? I had a feeling you were talking about celebrations on the field. You know, I, you, I think what they did on the field is fine. Oh, okay. Um, you are talking about you the know, other. I was talking
1: about some of the other in the comments that were made on camera. And for strictly this, as we get older, we all understand how important it is, that image that we keep because they're such a role model for these young women and young men, but mostly young women around the country wanting to play sport and wanting to play soccer. And to come off and say some of the things they said on camera probably wasn't the, the, the smartest thing to do. But I know the emotion and the celebration takes over. But I think we still have to be aware of these small kids that uh, that they, they just think these people are, are are such, such heroes to them.
0: Got it. Got it. Thanks for clearing that up. And as always, thanks for the time on the David Glenn Show. hope you get to enjoy the beach.
1: You guys enjoy a great week in Greensboro, okay?
0: Thanks very much. Curtis Strange of ESPN and Fox Sports on Twitter at Golf underscore Strange. Appreciate him dropping by. You can catch Jordan Spieth, Patrick Reed, Ernie Els, Webb Simpson, Harold Varner from ECU, a lot of the legends of golf, Davis Love III, Ernie Els, a lot of the internationals, Paul Casey, Martin Keimer, a lot of the up-and-coming guys from Uh, first-time winners on the PGA Tour earlier this year to guys that uh, maybe you've seen win in recent years. Everybody that is just on that next tier is going to be on Greensboro. Of the very top players, it's really only a handful. And as Mark Brazel, the guy who runs that event, says... In year one, he expected this kind of field, which he's proud of. In year two, he expects to be an even better field, in part because the calendar will be different again next year. We talked about our guest, Ashley Twitchell, going to the Olympics in Tokyo next summer as a swimmer. Well, the Olympics also nowadays include golf. So the Olympics will take a chunk of PGA Tour golfers for that event next summer in Tokyo. It's one more sort of trick for the Wyndham Championship folks to navigate, but given the players' chance to get used to this new calendar with the majors more front-loaded, and given that not everybody is going to be on an Olympics team, they expect an even better field next year at Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro. Will Brinson on the NFL later this hour. Ashley Twitchell, one of the very first to earn a Team USA spot at next year's Summer Olympics. The 30-year-old swimmer formerly of Duke, still trains and is associated with the Triangle Aquatic Center right here in Cary, North Carolina. She's going to drop by to share her story with us in a little bit more than 60 minutes. She is the oldest rookie swimmer from the United States to make the Olympics since 1908. 30 still sounds young to me, but it is old by swimming standards. We'll ask Ashley about her dream to become an Olympian, and how she never gave up on that and finally made it happen a little bit earlier this month when she did punch that qualification ticket. Ashley, next hour, Will Brinson on the NFL. This hour, your phone calls on all of the headlines of the day. We'll give you more updates from NFL training camps. We'll give you more of Ron Rivera, Luke Keekly, and Cam Newton in their own words, live from Spartanburg. Classic Sports Movie Challenge next hour as well. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can be next on The David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What
2: a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. As a quarterback in sports, you're unanimously the leader, right? And, um, you know, I just know my worth to this team and. You know, know how much these guys, you know, believe in me and how much I believe in them. And, uh, you know, if I'm willing to do that, and I know I've seen other guys do the same thing, too.
0: Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. So far, so good for that guy, Cam Newton at Panthers camp. Quick updates from elsewhere in the NFL. The Miami Dolphins' new head coach, Brian Flores, said that veteran Ryan Fitzpatrick is clearly, that's a quote, clearly, ahead of fellow Dolphins newcomer Josh Rosen and the team's quarterback competition. More on Cam Newton out of the mouth of Ron Rivera. We are jokingly describing Peter King of NBC Sports. As our correspondent in Spartanburg, most days we actually have a DG show correspondent joining us live from Panthers camp. Peter King has joined our show many times, but he had his day in Spartanburg yesterday and he asked Ron Rivera about Cam Newton's confidence level coming off yet another shoulder surgery.
3: You know, it's interesting because when, when he first had the surgery and he started working uh, in the offseason. I talk and I said, "Well, what do you think? How, how are you going to be? He says, oh, I'll be ready. I said, really, will you be ready for season? No, I'll be ready for training camp. And, and he's flashing me that smile. When do you think that was? That was, um, was probably the second week or third week of OTAs. So that was uh, April. Yeah. It was either late April or, or, or early May. But there, you know, it's funny because with him, the, 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 you know, one thing he's always been, he's always been truthful. He's never lied to me. Um, whenever I you know, I had to challenge him on something, he's always come clean. And so I said to him, I said, I said really, training camp? He said, coach, training camp. And he just flashed me that, that confident smile and I just said, wow, they're okay.
0: Quarterback news from Spartanburg, quarterback news from Miami, and one more quarterback update. Then we'll get to our actual correspondent on the NFL today, Will Brinson of CBS Sports, senior NFL writer extraordinaire. He'll drop by a little bit later this hour. We will have our classic sports movie challenge in about 30 minutes. You hear the audio. First to correctly identify the name of one of our 50, as voted by you, our syndicated statewide audience, one of our 50 classic sports movies. You get your pick of prizes from the DG Show prize closet so that'll be in 30 minutes. Ashley Twitchell, Team USA Olympian, will will drop by in about 60 minutes. One more quarterback tidbit, 1-800-849-2761. If you had to guess, would Drew Brees, Saints quarterback, or Zion Williamson, former Duke star and now the number one overall pick of the New Orleans Pelicans of the NBA, if there were a basketball-football combo challenge... Would you put your money on Drew Brees to win it? Or would you put your money on Zion Williamson to win it? I ask because it actually happened yesterday at Saints camp. Zion attended his first training camp practice last Friday. And then just yesterday, I saw the video. He gives a man hug to Drew Brees. He brought some of his Pelicans teammates with him. And I don't know if this was impromptu or Saints officials kind of set this up ahead of time. But when Drew Brees was done with his actual work, they went back and forth, sometimes throwing a football at targets and sometimes shooting a basketball. You know, and not, get, not only have to hit the target, you, you do have to make it through the net in that particular sport. So they went back and forth, back and forth, Zion Williamson and Drew Brees and some other athletes from the Saints and the Pelicans. Of course, for dramatic effect, it had to come down to Drew Brees' and Zion Williamson, and sure enough, it was Breeze hitting a basketball-style three-pointer from more than 40 feet away. They described it as from the five-yard line to the back of the end zone. So that would be, yeah, more than 40 feet away. Drew Breeze hit that basketball shot. Zion Williamson, you know he's got to work on his range if he's going to live up to that new Jordan brand contract. Breeze over Williamson, in the Battle of City of New Orleans Superstars. One more quarterback highlight from NFL training camps. 1-800-849-2761. Let me get dig out, Darren, if you will, another of your favorite quotes from Spartanburg, and then we'll get to Will Brinson of CBS Sports on all things NFL. Jerry Jones versus Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas. Some teams still not sure of their starting quarterback. Again, Ryan Fitzpatrick earning that role, at least in the eyes of Brian Flores, at this somewhat early stage of preseason camp. In Baltimore, Ravens head coach John Harbaugh joined, among many other sports figures, Grant Hill of Duke, Muggsy Bogues of Wake Forest in defending the city of Baltimore from the recent attacks of the current president of the United States. Le'Veon Bell of the Jets, apologized to you yesterday if you're a fantasy football owner who picked him last year when he ended up sitting out the whole season with the Steelers. He says if you pick him again this year, he will reward your fantasy football team by bringing you, I believe it was multiple trophy icons, as he shared that message on social media. This is Ron Rivera. Of course, one of the relatively new changes that Peter King of NBC Sports asked Ron Rivera about was the transition from Jerry Richardson For a long time, remember, the first and only person who owned the majority owner of the Carolina Panthers. He's the guy who brought the NFL to the Carolinas, and there's no doubt about that. You can always remember Jerry Richardson fondly for that. There are other easier-to-criticize aspects of the Jerry Richardson tenure. David Tepper, for many, has been a breath of fresh air as the new Panthers owner, and Peter King asked Ron Rivera about that transition to David Tepper.
3: With Mr. Tepper... He is I don't want to say hands-on, but what he is, is he's a guy that wants to be informed, he wants to know what's happening, and he wants to know why. The one thing I've learned with Mr. Tepper is that you know, it's, it's about working, doing things, doing things the right way, and moving forward. If you do something wrong, why, what's the reasoning, let's correct it, let's don't make that mistake again. Um, that's really the thing that I've really appreciated as well about Mr. Tepper.
0: Do you know what that reminds me of? Ron Rivera describing David Tepper, the relatively new owner of your Carolina Panthers. Anybody who has followed or gotten to know the Tom Dundon story as the relatively new owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, that guy's like a scratch golfer. He was competitive in other sports, but he was not a hockey player. He also was not raised with hockey. And yet... The way Ron Rivera described David Tepper, not exactly hands-on, but he does want to know why you're doing this football thing the way you're doing this football thing, even as David Tepper admits, you probably know football better than he, David Tepper, knows football. Tom Dundon is exactly the same way, and I have had much more of a front-row seat for Dundon's philosophy here in Raleigh with the Carolina Hurricanes. I have admired David Tepper and his philosophy from afar, but in my experience, in a lot of different industries, law, journalism, being a business owner myself, dealing with others who owned their own businesses in sports media and otherwise, one common trait in those who, in this case, go on to become billionaires, right? Tom Dundon's a multi-billionaire as the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. David Tepper is like one of the 50 richest people in the world according to some estimates, $13 billion or so that he built with his hedge fund. One thing that is common to those two guys, and I wish the Hornets owner, Michael Jordan, was this way more often, they have their hands and their nose everywhere, but only because they're demanding that you explain to them why you do things the way you do them. They could come barging in and say, I'm the billionaire, do everything my way. That's not what they do. But the other end of the spectrum would be too deferential. In my experience, successful people in so many walks of life do both things. They're incredibly demanding. Hey, you know hockey better than I do, but lifelong hockey person, you better explain to me why our game day environment is this way and why it's not that way. You may know hockey better. You may be in hockey longer than I. But if you don't have a good common sense answer to me, about my hockey club and that branch of my hockey club, I'm going to find somebody else who gives me better answers to those questions. David Tepper is so similar. I don't know how many ways they are similar, but it's no coincidence to me that they're both billionaires. It's no coincidence to me that they have both built unbelievably successful companies from scratch. I love the fact that they're both uber-competitive. Michael Jordan famously competitive as a player— His competitiveness comes out in different ways as an owner where he has been a flop compared to obviously being the goat in my eyes and many others as a player. He's been a disaster as the Hornets' majority owner over this last nine years or so. David Tepper and Tom Dundon are both demanding, while being deferential when they know somebody on their payroll knows this little nook and cranny of their universe better than they possibly could, as guys you know brand new to hockey in Tom Dundon's case a couple years ago and relatively new to this part of the NFL in David Tepper's case he was a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers prior to buying the Carolina Panthers he of course had to give up that slice of the Steelers when he made that happen they're coming from different parts of the world hedge fund subprime auto lending etc they're unapologetic when they're demanding But I think they're intelligent with their questions. And I think when you're demanding in the right ways while also admitting what you don't know, that's about as good a recipe for success in the sports world and otherwise as I've come across in my time in those worlds. 1-800-849-2761. Will Brinson, CBS Sports on all things NFL. Next. Kurt Bush is joining us, 38 year old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you and really? Was, it
2: was fun. Got about an hour's sleep.
0: I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because <laughs> I got to go back to racing. Stay with us on The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest, senior NFL writer for CBSSports.com. Also, check out his daily Pick 6 podcast. Will Brinson, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you?
2: Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? It's uh, it's been too long. By the way, I find it, I find it, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know Curtis very well, but I did go to school with Curtis, son. Tom Strange is one of the best dudes out there. And a pretty good golfer himself.
0: How about that? A little DG Show mojo. Curtis Strange to yeah. Will Brinson on the same program in the same hour. We will try to build on that positive energy as we ask you about holdouts. Whereas it seems like the New Orleans Saints and Michael Thomas, while, you know, $19 million apart, uh, but when you look at his number he's supposed to make and the number he wants to make, it seems like that's going to work out fine. There are other places where prominent guys holding out could have unhappier endings. What what do you make of Trent Williams in Washington or Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas or the other bigger names that fit this description, Melvin Gordon in the Chargers, et cetera?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the Michael Thomas thing shouldn't, like you said, shouldn't be a problem. There's a little bit of a game of chicken, I think, with um, Julio Jones and the Falcons and, and Mike Thomas and the Saints because you know, one of them is going to get, maybe get $20 million. Pete Briscoe said on my podcast, he thinks the Falcons might, Julio Jones might simply be waiting to see what Mike Thomas gets before signing his deal. So we'll see how that goes down. Uh, As far as Deke and, uh, and, well, I'll do Trent Williams first. That is a major problem. I mean, it is a major problem for the Redskins. Trent Williams at this point, um, you know, has dealt with an injury or injuries that have affected his, you know, career and, and he sort of thinks I think he looks at him as maybe uh, injuries that can affect his long-term health yeah and as, as a result he doesn't trust the redskin training staff right now he simply doesn't and that's why the uh, Washington is bringing in uh, Donald Penn I believe on a one-year deal I mean they they, they are under the impression that Trent Williams might hold out for a much longer time he's just one year left on his deal and you know, he's at 30 you know, he doesn't believe that this training staff can, can get him right so he's a possible trade candidate. If they can end up, you know, bringing in enough bodies to replace him, uh, and then as far as the running backs go, I heard Adam Schefter on uh, on. I was listening to nine ninety uh, in Raleigh this morning. I'm driving towards High Point Greensboro right now, but cool. uh, you know, but uh, but was but was listening to Adam Schefter on Golik and Wingo, and uh, and he pointed out that you know that uh, M- Melvin Gordon, the Chargers, are quote galaxies apart, which is fascinating. I thought there was a really nice little gap that they could find there in between uh, maybe what, uh, what what you had Devontae Freeman making for the Falcons and what you have David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell making. There's a $5 million per year window there. You know, we could slot in at 8 at you know, 9 10 $11, 12000000 per year. The Chargers have Melvin Gordon's rights for the next three years if they want because of the franchise tag. Right. One year on the fifth-year option, two on the tag this year, forthcoming season. And so you could build out an extension that would get them there. It appears melvin gordon is not willing to take less and if that's the case this one could really linger into the season you know he would have to uh he, he could he could hold out till week 10 um you know or thereabouts, thereabouts and, and and save his service time and then the Chargers have a week 12 bye, so he could really mess things up for them and and, and make things ugly it, it, he's you know, people in fantasy drafts he's falling in like the second or third round uh zeke elliott a little bit i think a little bit maybe more of a it's tougher because he wants more money. He wants to get Todd Gurley plus money. He wants to be the highest paid running back in football. He has led the league in, in rushing yards per game all three seasons that he's been in the NFL, has led the league in rushing two of those three seasons, uh, and firmly believes that he is, as, as Stephen Jones, his boss said, the straw that stirs the Cowboys drink. Uh, now, Jerry Jones came out yesterday and said that he, he doesn't think you can pay a running back. You know, top-tier money and necessarily guarantee that you're going to a Super Bowl uh, that you know pointed out that you know, the last time the first time the, the league leading rusher ever went ever won a Super Bowl title was Emmett Smith back when he had him. What he failed to mention is that Emmett Smith held out the Cowboys looked terrible the first two games. Mm. They signed Emmett Smith to a big contract and then won the Super Bowl and he led the league in Russia so <laughs> sort of con- sort of contradicting himself. I think at the end of the day, they will have to do something to make Ezekiel Elliott happy. I don't know what exactly it's going to be, whether it's a, a shorter term contract. But he is, I mean, he is a, a different guy, and he he has led the league in rushing every you know every year in terms of yards per game. And if the Cowboys want to take advantage of this Super Bowl window, they might have to pony up some cash.
0: Will Brinson joining us, showing his versatility once more. He could hear 99.9, our Triangle affiliate in Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill, as he headed west. And now he can hear us at Greensboro and Winston-Salem and High Point on the Triad Sports Hub. That's how versatile he is. Check out his Daily Pick 6 podcast and always find his work, of course, at CBSSports.com. All right, besides Cam Newton's surgically repaired right shoulder, what is either the most important development you've seen so far from Spartanburg and Panthers camp or the biggest question you're going to be watching about the Panthers moving forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, look, again, you, you said it, Dave. The, the number one thing for the Panthers is get Cam Newton is healthy. If he's yes. he's not healthy, and, and Will Greer look looked good. I mean, I, I'll give him that. But if Cam Newton's not healthy, this is not going to – I don't believe this is going to be a potentially Super Bowl winning season for the Panthers. But it, if he is healthy, they can make a run at it. One of the big reasons why I think they can is this defensive front that they, they appear to have sort of built out in a very odd fashion – uh, Ron Rivera, you know, traditionally with Carolina, of course, has been a uh, you know a straight-up 4-3 guy. I mean, that's what he's always ran. That's what he ran, you know, uh, you know, for a long time as a coordinator. When he did take over for Wade Phillips as defensive coordinator in San Diego with the Chargers, he operated a 3-4 there. So he's, he's very familiar with, you know, blending those sort of defenses, with, with using multiple fronts, with using hybrids. He's a creative guy. He's a one of the smartest defensive coaches in the NFL. There's some people who, you know don't love that what Ron Rivera does as the head coach. It's fine, but you know he's won multiple division titles. He's been to a Super Bowl. Uh, he's made multiple playoff runs. And as a defensive mind, it's hard to top Ron Rivera. And so when I look at what they have built out, it, it's really fascinating. He and Marty Herney have done a nice job. I mean, you're talking about you know, they add Brian Burns in the draft. Um, you know they go out and get Gerald McCoy. Uh, you know they they have they have um, you know, Kawan's short there. They have Luke Kuechly and Shaq Thompson as the linebackers. It's really hard to sort of put it, put it down on paper and envision exactly what that defensive front is going to be. But I think the hybrid nature of it is going to make, with the way that Ron Rivera can call those plays, really difficult to match up for offensive lines. And it's going to be hard for, for you know, centers and quarterbacks and, and offensive coordinators. To diagnose where the pressure is coming from. Shaq Thompson's a guy who can blitz off the edge. Keekley's not scared to, to blitz. Um, you know, Darrell McCoy's a guy who, you know, doesn't have necessarily the stack numbers, but he can get pressure on the inside. Burns just looked dominant during training camp. No one can block him by all accounts. And, and so I think that this is starting to be a defensive front that could really, really surprise some people. The other storyline I just throw out there, too, is that, you know, a lot of people talk about this offensive line. Might be the best one that Cam Newton's had since he's been drafted, which would really change things. If this team is good in the trenches, they're going to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. You can get them at 60-1 to right now in some (laughs) spots. That's not a bad little bet.
0: Well done, a little bonus coverage, Vegas style, from Will Brinson. I have about a minute for this finale as we thank you for your time from the road. We do have eight new head coaches in the NFL. Six of those eight are first-time NFL head coaches. When you think of those eight, Arizona, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Denver, Green Bay, Miami, the Jets, and the Buccaneers, who has the best chance to sort of hit the ground running and just make a positive splash here right out of the gate?
2: Well, first of all, Dave, thank you for listening to eight. Because I was uh, doing the the, the math while driving in my head. I hear you, man. I've been on your Uh, end of this phone kind of phone call so many times that my heart goes out to you. (laughs) Uh, um, I will say, I think the two that interest me the most, uh, one, Adam Gates. Of course, he has head coaching experience in the division. I think he's got a quarterback in Sam Darnold who has operated a system that he likes to run at USC before other short passing routes. Jamison Crowder now hurt, but he's a perfect fit there. And Le'Veon Bell is a good fit, too. He knows the division, too. But the one guy that I think is really sneaky, Vic Fangio in Denver, right? Uh, Reminds me of Mike Zimmer making the leap. You look at the defense. He made that Bears defense great. I know they had Khalil Mack and a bunch of personnel. Denver's loaded with defensive players. And then I think that offensive line, he hired Mike Munchak, who has had a great offensive line everywhere he's been. And don't sleep on the fact that two of the first four games for Vic Fangio against the Bears and against the Packers, a Ooh. team he used to coach for and a team a team he knows very well from his days in the NFC North.
0: I love it. Will Brinson, CBSSports.com. It is a fun podcast as well. He calls it Pick 6. On Twitter, he is at Will Brinson. Uh, continue to enjoy the uh, great state of North Carolina, man. Thanks for the call in from the road. You got it, Dave. Have a great week. You too. Will Brinson. Uh, Darren, am I correct in saying Will will be part of our Voices of North Carolina tour extravaganza? He will. As a matter of fact, a week from today, he and Joe Giglio of the News and Observer are going to co-host NC State Day to get us kicked off. We're due for like two major announcements this week. We're supposed to (laughs) announce the, the Big Tailgate Tour dates. This is Big Tailgate Tour number six. So we have to announce which college football games we'll be bringing that circus to throughout the fall. And then we have to announce which pro teams and which colleges each get their own day on what we called long ago the Voices of North Carolina tour. My family and I are taking a trip to London. That means we turn over hosting duties to others. And unlike a usual guest host situation, there will be like a, a Wolfpack day, a Carolina day, a Duke day, etc. pro teams involved as well. We'll get to those announcements at some point this week. I guess it's only Tuesday, Darren, but those are somewhere in the near future. Classic Sports Movie Challenge, third hour, Ashley Twitchell, U.S. Olympian, third hour, your calls too on The David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene and and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. We have a U.S. Olympian joining us, Ashley Twitchell from Duke and the great state of North Carolina, live in about 40 minutes. We're running out of chances for you to win the Classic Sports Movie Challenge, but there is one next on The David Glenn Show. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game,
1: and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver (laughs) to be a part of the play.
2: The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think
1: of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is The David Glenn Show.